Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Are You Listening podcast. I am Scott. I am here with my friend Brandon. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Fantastic, as always, every time we record. It is fantastic. Before we get into the record we're going to be talking about today, we have to address some, just something that was left over from last week. Uh, is it the the Emery, I'm Only a Man studio update? Yes, you tasked okay. me with listening to the studio update of Emery's I'm Only a Man. And before you say what you thought about it, was my explanation decent that it like wiped yes. away the veneer of yeah, the production the way you explained it as far as taking a planer to it and kind of scrape scraping away the super like enhanced kind of dancey like sheen off of it yeah and leaving it more natural feeling analog feeling uh recorded live in the studio type thing yes that, that was a very good uh description and then what did you think about it? Uh, before I tell you what I thought about it, let me check on my order for oh. the Seafoam Blue <laughs> variant color of the record. I guess that answers. Uh, it has not shipped yet. It, it's on its way, though. But you did buy it. So you, I did. You it is, it. Yes, it is, uh, is on its way, and it has gone from a slight groan to a, a throne as far as Emery goes for me. Oh, that's awesome. So, like, if you if you would add that into the Emory rankings you have, and I know you said that question and week's end were kind of hand in hand, but you put uh, the initial "I'm only a man" below that. Yes. Would would you put like you if this one's thrown? Where does it sit in, in amongst the other ones? It, it's it's top. It's it's, it's the, the top. It's the top. So, so it goes. I'm only a man. Studio update. Yeah. And then week's end question hand in hand, and then uh, kind of week's I'm, end above the question. Okay. And then, and then, then I'm the only OG, a man at the bottom. Very bottom. <laughs> so you have a, an Emery I'm only a man sandwich. It's true. It's that's, true. That's wild. I like the studio update, but yeah. I I still I a hundred percent prefer the OG. But again, that they have said that it, it still exists. Like there's no reason that I have to prefer it. I still I'm glad I have it, but Right. But yeah, I really I really did love the studio update and um I think I messaged you after I listened to it saying, I kind of want this. I thought about it for like a day or two afterwards and I was like, man, I'm just doing it. So yep, picked it up. I mean, I ordered the studio update simply because I can't have the OG on vinyl and I'm just, right. I'm just glad to have even a version of those songs to listen to. If I want to spin them a superior version of those songs, you mean Deb debatable, but that's what the show's about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah i just wanted to lay that to rest that little that little piece we left kind of hanging there um left the phone yeah. off the hook a little bit just a tiny little bit off the hook but yeah so i ordered it uh it's it's on its way i'm pretty stoked to get it so yeah i uh, just wanted to let you know that uh you affected my record collection this last week that's what i like to hear that's what i'm here for and <laughs> 
the thing I'm most proud of is that I, I the way I explained that, I'm glad it worked because I, I take so much pride in trying to explain things properly. And a lot of the time, my brain doesn't work how other people's brains do. But I'm glad yeah. in this time I got it. Yeah, no, um, the dancey parts are still there, but just not as dancey or like not as digital sounding. They're very like you can kind of equate it to almost an acoustic kind of live version or maybe just a live version not even acoustic because there's no acoustics but um like a live version of the record but in a studio setting so it sounds good still it's more dancey the way that rem was dancey when they were playing colleges as opposed to the way that radio dance music is dancey yeah like the the og is more of a radio dance whereas the new one's more of like a and by the way, I, that was it. I have to I have to squeeze REM in once every episode. <laughs> there you go. So like you know the 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 murmur reckoning, where some of those songs are super dance, even if the the meaning behind some of those tracks isn't uh, the most fun. So yeah, uh, let's jump into Metallica's Master of Puppets. Now we'll get to the the theme of the actual show. I will do I'll, I'll do all the background stuff first, and then we'll get into your reaction because I kind of have a lot to go over and. I don't want to throw you to the wolves first thing off. I'll I'll input as I see fit. Sounds great. As as always, I will always have opinions on anything. Of course. So uh, Metallica, uh, known by millions and billions of people throughout the world, uh, is a four-piece thrash metal band from L.A. who formed in 1981, originally consisting of James Hetfield, who is the guitarist and vocalist, Lars Ulrich, who is the drummer, Dave Mustaine, who was the lead guitarist, and Ron McGovney, who was the bassist. Um, Ron left in late 1982 and went on to play in the band Phantasm. Uh, at that time, he was replaced by Cliff Burton. And uh, Dave Mustaine, despite being a songwriting contributor, never appeared on any album and was kicked out of the band in 1983 and was replaced by Kirk Hammett. Um, Metallica, probably the biggest name in thrash metal, the worldwide, also known as one of the big four of American thrash metal, along the sides of Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. There's actually a really cool, um, DVD concert, uh, of the big four. They all played together, some huge big four festival, um, and shout outs to my friend, Matt, who who gave me that for like a birthday or Christmas sometime, is is pretty awesome. I could say I'm a fan of like two of the four, like an actual fan. I can't say I'm like a hardcore fan of any of them, but I can say of the four, two of them, I am familiar and a fan. Slayer and Anthrax. Correct. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> I had a feeling. I am a bigger fan of one of the four than the rest of the four. I mean, I'm also not super well-knowledgeable on even those two. And the, my favorite Slayer album is a lot of people's least favorite Slayer album. So we can just oh, move no. on from that till later. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. that, that may be saved till later when we maybe revisit some things together. Oh, geez. Okay. That's exciting. Uh, okay. We'll get into Master of Puppets. Uh, the lineup being um, James, Lars, uh, Cliff, and Kirk. Uh, it's Metallica's third studio album was released March 3rd, 1986, which is the, uh, the day before my fourth birthday. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Pretty neat. I actually didn't know that until I was doing research for this record. That's fun to find out. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, it was recorded in sweet silence studio in Copenhagen, Denmark, and was the band's first album released by Electra records ride the lightning. The one before that, I think Electra got their hands on after the initial release and then re-released Ride the Lightning. But this was the first record that Electra like put money behind and released solely on Electra. Okay. Um, it's also the band's first uh, <laughs> album to not feature songwriting contributions from former lead guitarist Dave Mustaine. Uh, though the band later said that one section of Leopard Messiah incorporated some of Mustaine's ideas. That checks out from what I know of Dave Mustaine and Megadeth. I can hear that in Leopard Messiah. Yeah. Um, consequently, one of my favorite, rec my, one of my favorite songs on this record. <laughs> uh, 
the record is eight tracks with a total runtime of 54 minutes and 47 seconds. It contains three songs running over eight minutes long. The shortest song being the opener, Battery, runs at a thin, thin five minutes and 13 seconds. Oh, if you don't think I didn't recognize the song length on this thing, <laughs> you're very mistaken. You're very mistaken. So I knew you were like the rest of the world knew the hits from Metallica. You yeah. said last episode that you knew like Enter Sandman and stuff, the big hits off the Black Album and then the Garage Inc. Uh, covers album, uh, which are all pretty radio-friendly lengths as far as yeah. song times go. So I knew giving you this record was going to be a task. But there are two tracks on here that I was familiar with even slightly. Oh, okay. Even just slightly. Like when I heard when I heard them, um, Master Puppets being one, I don't I of think course. if you're a fan of metal, you've heard that riff many times. And I was familiar with that. I may have also played it on either like Guitar Hero or Rock Band, whichever one of those it was on. I oh, okay. probably played probably played it on there too. That riff, that opening riff from Master of Puppets is actually the first riff I learned to play on guitar. Like actual guitar. <laughs> I don't know if I've, I don't know. I feel like if I've never learned chords, I can't say I've ever played a riff. Like mm -hmm. I've just learned how to play things with like tabs. <laughs> so okay. yeah, I, no. knew how to, I, knew, I, I knew how to play like uh, the King of the Hill theme song. Does that count? There you go. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was like the first song I took to my guitar instructor um, at Motor City Guitar Plug um in eighth grade and i was like i want i need to learn this and he was like wait you don't want to learn how to read music or anything like that you just want to learn how to play these songs i was like i'm 13 yes <laughs> i need to impress females play i can play power chords and like just like toll yep, that's all i can do but i never i can't do anything on it really and everybody, like every every single one of my friends played guitar. Basically, like it was just the weirdest thing. I was just like, I, then then once that happened, I was like, oh, there's, I don't need to learn this. I'm all right. I have a friend Chris who, in school, also played guitar and is a million times better than me. Uh, so I gave up, basically, on trying to learn how to play anything remotely resembling a lead guitar lick. Uh, he's just phenomenal. I learned how to play bass first because my dad played bass in a band and there were always basses everywhere. And like we had amps and everything. So like I, I would just, you know, just fiddle around with those. And I knew how to play more bass stuff than I did guitar. But obviously when you're a teenager l loving music, you don't <laughs> want to be a bass player. Nobody wants to be a play bass player. <laughs> that, that is the least uh, desirable band position. I think drums used to have that i feel like drums have become more respected now and bass has fallen back but drums was that for a while yeah yeah i'd agree it is, it is weird that shift though that shift is weird i can't i can't like pinpoint a time when drums started becoming more important to me listening musically but i do know in the you know probably post-college time of my life i noticed a lot of drum work a lot more in songs than I did anything else. Like it, like I still notice guitar and lyrics and all that, but drums kind of just like I focus in on them now. I don't know. I don't know why. I have like very definitive memories of certain drums. Like there's there's one specific snare hit in Job for a Cowboy's Entombment of a Machine that will go down in my head as like one of the best drum hits of all time. But I can't ever say that like I focus on the drums. It's only right. if it's like a very specific special time. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily focus on it. They just pop out at me more, I guess. I don't know. I do have some drum facts for this, uh, this of episode. You do. So of course you do. <laughs> this album is hailed as a masterpiece by critics and fans alike. Uh, it's noted as being thrash metals first platinum album and, and i think i knew that i mean it's one of their like i if nothing else i've seen this album cover on shirts more than maybe many other album covers oh yeah this band was actually brought to me god i'm shouting out a lot of people today um this brand <laughs> band was brought to me by um my friend damien uh rest in peace buddy he brought it to me when i was a youngster we were riding the bus together uh he lived 
like two streets down, you know, on around the corner type thing. Um, and he was a year older than me. So he had all these super rad cassettes that, yes, cassettes. We had Walkmans back then, back in those days. And he would he would lend me cassettes. So, like, he introduced me to Metallica, Megadeth, Guns N' Roses. Uh, he introduced me to Pantera. Like, he was just a major uh, influence as far as metal music in my life. I was going to say, he just sounds like a big metalhead. He, dude, he was the biggest metalhead. I, I loved that dude. And, uh, yeah, he, he turned me on to a whole bunch of music. And, like, as far as thrash metal goes, other than the big four, I never quested to go find more. It was never, like, just, like, like a, a pinpoint focus for me. I just soaked up music and these bands were easily accessible due to Damien. What I want is, do you have a poor review of this thing? Not one, not a single <laughs> one. Like I was, you didn't look hard enough. No, I did. I looked, one out there. I spent an entire afternoon looking at reviews and I specifically didn't write any down because they're all like the lowest review I got was a 4.5 out of five everything else is tens and nines and fives it's ridiculous how well received this album is still and was um okay i'll give you my my first listen thought then okay let's do it my very first listen first listen through i i just first thing that popped to my head is one sentence every track takes too long to get to the point or overstays its welcome gotcha i had a feeling that was gonna be your reaction that my first listen through every single time, I'm like, all right, is anything going to happen here? And then something would happen or I, it would start and I would, something would be happening. And then it would just overstay its welcome. Like I'm falling asleep on the couch. Got saying like, guy, you got to go. I'm trying to go to bed. <laughs> like you can't be changing my channels. Like, let's go. I, I had a feeling because our previous talks included things like you don't like long songs. You are not a big fan of guitar solos. Uh, both of which are pretty prominent on this record. But I thought after listening to the last two Emery records where songs changed up a lot in the middle of songs that I had a chance with this one because in a lot of these songs, even though they are eight minutes long, there's tons of changes in the middle of them. And yes, I, I would say that there are a few times in this album where the song length doesn't affect me as much as I think it should have, especially once I started you know, going in and picking apart these songs and listening to them more, you know, analytically, as opposed to just letting it flow over me once I started to more dive into it. Sure. But um, that was just my first listen. I just, that was my first listen opinion. Let me walk you through what the history of Metallica with me is. Okay. Because it's, yeah. it, this might play how this album and in a bigger scale, this band was colored to me before I even listened to this. Okay. So basically, we've talked about my musical journey before where there was a point where like all I was listening to was what my dad kind of introduced me to. And then it, I, I reached a point where it was Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. Like these are the two big ones, the two major ones. Sure. And I had I made a decision of which I like more. And it was definitely Black Sabbath. I and then it was it was the darkest stuff that they did, like the heaviest, darkest stuff. Right. So from there, I went and instead of going the normal routine through heavier little heavier a little heavier i went straight from like black sabbath to like cannibal corpse and like black metal and mayhem and just like the wildest darkest shit ever (laughs) so you could say that maybe the whole step that metallic is on i would have missed like you skipped it a hundred percent and it was the heaviness that i liked so anytime like either one of my dad's friends would get hammered or something and start talking to me or somebody would ask me like what I listen to. And I would just say, I I like heavy stuff. I like really heavy stuff. And without fail, if it was somebody that I know for a fact, doesn't listen to heavy stuff, right. They would say, Oh, Oh yeah. I I don't, I like Metallica. And, And I would have to every time without fail, say them, tell them, no, 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 no. It's way heavier than Metallica. No, that the heavy stuff. (laughs) <laughs> yes so like it, there's always been this idea to me and this is going to sound a little unfair but metallica it was kind of to me what five finger death punches now where they're oh, like an yeah. they're like an accessible 
heavy hard rock band. Right, I got that, you. That when people listen to them, it's so heavy compared to what they listen to, they just assume that that's the heaviest music can get. Now, we, when you had that opinion, what time in their career was that? Was that Black, was that black Album time? Like when they did go a little bit more, not a little bit more, but when they went more poppy? It would have had to be, but these are also guys that like would be wearing Metallica Master Puppet shirts and stuff. Okay, like that. you know what I mean? Like these, they, they're but, they're actual Metallica fans, right? But you didn't have the back catalog knowledge. That's true. That's true. To say that no, it's heavier than Ride the Lightning or Master of Puppets. Oh, a hundred percent true. Okay, and I get it. Like Mayhem, yeah. yes, is on a whole different level than Master of Puppets or Injustice for All. But in, in in their defense, Master Puppets, Ride the Lightning, Justice for All, Kill 'Em All, is a lot heavier than the Black Album and following records. But there there was always that idea in my head that everybody thought Metallica was so heavy. I need to fight this idea that they're yeah. they're not fucking heavy. Yeah, totally. I I totally get that. That's one of my things too. Like when the world has an opinion, I'm usually against it. In addition to like the experience I had with like my dad's friends and other people asking me and then talking about Metallica's heaviness, I think another issue that I have in me is I all have I think in my head I've always seen Metallica as the Metallica versus Napster guys. Like I like as much as right. I've known yeah. Metallica, they just seemed like these hungry, just money hungry, greedy, you know, capitalistic band that kind of doesn't define metal at all like it's supposed to be like aggression heaviness hardness right you know we're badass but when you're you know oh no 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 we need all our royalties off these potential fans well i want to i want to put that that decision upon lars's shoulders alone not the entire band just lars because uh he was the he was the face for everybody against napster like he was gung-ho about and like don't get me wrong i understand their side of it it's just a really shitty side especially especially back then when we were trying to get as much music for free as possible um when they just i've always had that idea in my head that these are just corporate dudes and i don't think i add that into the metallic is it heavy so you got a bunch of corporate dudes metallic is not heavy i had an almost like anti-nostalgia i had to get over (laughs) right like it was hard to to separate myself from nostalgia in that last Emery record, and it was hard for me to separate myself from the anti nostalgia in this. I'm just making up words again. I love it. Uh, Master of Puppets peaked at 29 on the Billboard 200, and has been certified six times platinum in the U.S., six times platinum in Canada, and only one measly time platinum in the U.K. That's that's 13 million records easy, right there, right? That is 13 million records that's easy. A lot of records. It is, and the charts for this are crazy because it's countries all over the world. It peaked at 29 on the U.S. Billboard and number seven in the U.S. Top Rock Albums. What what else was in rock at that time? So, yeah, what else is coming out of this time? Then? What was it up against? Other albums released in March of 1986. Neil Diamond's Headed for the Future, Ministries Twitch, Depeche Mode's Black Celebration, Van Halen's 5150, Dirty Work by the Rolling Stones, from Luxury to Heartache by the Culture Club, Husker Du's Candy Apple Grey, and Ted Nugent's Little Miss Dangerous. Uh, the number one album at the time, uh, March 1st, 1986, was Mr. Mr.'s Welcome to the Real World. And then the following week, from March 8th to April 19th, and from May 17th to June 28th, the number one record was Whitney Houston's self-titled record. Man, Metallica juxtaposed with Whitney Houston is heavy. It's crazy, right? Yeah, Metallica is very heavy if that's what you're listening to on the radio, I guess. I guess when when you think about it at the time, the list that I just gave you, Metallica would be the heaviest thing that I lift that I listed off. Anyway, uh, Master of Puppets is the first metal recording to be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being culturally culturally historically or aesthetically significant they got chosen in 2015 the whole record or just the track master puppets the entire record okay it is preserved that's i mean that's a pretty 
big accomplishment, if I'm being honest. Like that's I would think so. Yeah, that's crazy. Huge. We talked a bit about the cover artwork, like us seeing it all over the place. That cover artwork uh, was designed by Metallica and their manager, Peter Mensch, um, and was painted by Don Broadingham, um, an illustrator out of the New York's out of New York's prestigious School of Visual Arts. Um, it's Lars, it's absolutely. I love that artwork. Fantastic. As much as I, you know, have negative and negative connotations and anti nostalgia for Metallica, I've always loved that artwork. Oh yeah, Lars said that the image encapsulates the idea of people, whether they're soldiers or drug addicts, being subconsciously manipulated, um, which is basically an overall theme of the entire record. Um, the original piece of artwork sold in 2008 do you want to take a stab at how much it sold for it's a painting yeah it was sold it was sold at rockefeller rockefeller plaza in new york city in 2008 all right i'm gonna guess and i, I could be way off one way or the other i'm gonna guess three hundred fifty thousand dollars. it was sold for twenty eight thousand dollars <laughs> i was like are you kidding me that's so attainable <laughs> that's wild oh eight that's wild. yeah maybe it's a downtime for metallica <laughs> maybe no but there was no metallica fans i don't know that's weird right though. but even so that record having the high esteem that it has that cover art being as iconic as it is only selling for twenty eight thousand dollars you think of art being super unattainable right but twenty eight grand, I mean, like people's cars are worth twenty eight grand. There's a lot of people's cars that aren't worth twenty eight grand. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. But I'm saying, like, if you saved up enough, you know, you could actually a normal person, a normal dude who is a Metallica fan, could own that original piece of art. Well, to that back a- then, to that aspect, then I kind of. I kind of like it. I kind of like the only way for 28 grand. I hope it went to just a guy that's a metallic, like one of the biggest. I really hope so. I don't know who it went to, but how cool would that be? Just being some dude in like Ohio, New Jersey, (laughs) you know, has like, I don't, I actually don't know how big the painting is either. Okay. So maybe it's a smaller size. I don't know. But imagine just having that hanging on your wall in the basement. Yeah. Next to a Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet. Yeah, yeah. And a big screen TV or something. You know what I mean? Like, I would never be able to convince my friends it was a real one. Never. That's the other thing, right? Like, never. I'd show them all the paperwork, all the certificate of authenticity, <laughs> and they would they would continue to, even if not to my face, to behind my back, say, he thinks he has the original Metallica painting? Come on. We got it, guys. We got to do something. Right. The album art does have significance to me personally also oh. because one of one of my first like very serious girlfriends had a shirt that was the Metallica Master Puppet shirt. So like there's a ah. there's a little bit of uh, you know like thinking romantically about that shirt. <laughs> like it was a, it was a very weird time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> the image brings back the feelings. I, I yes, like just those unsure of yourself but like excited about everything yeah right you know kind of how everybody kind of how i feel every day today there you go <laughs> unsure <laughs> unsure of myself but excited about everything yeah kind of a different context though oh, very very different <laughs> uh the album was produced by fleming rasmussen who is the owner and founder of sweet silence studio um he also produced ride the lightning and and justice for all for metallica and what did what, what, did he produce anything for other people? He had to. He did Morbid Angels album Covenant. Oh shit, that album is a killer. Yeah, I knew you would knew that. That's why I brought that <laughs> yes. one up. Yeah. <laughs> and I I knew that because I think a metal record of this time. I don't think there were very many prominent quote metal producers. I think a lot of them did a lot of work. Right. But yeah, Covenant's great. I mean, it, it's right before uh, probably my favorite Morbid Angel album. I think Domination's my favorite. But this isn't a Morbid Angel episode, so we can move on. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, let's get into some fun facts about this record. Kurt Hammock worked with Joe Satriani on technique and how to record more efficiently while making this record. There's definitely, there's two different types of solos in this on this record. There are frenzied solos that are more of a metal thrashy type of solo and there are more 
uh, instrumental Joe Satriani type, uh, Steve Ray yeah. Lai, Yingwe Malmsteam type of. I guess Yingwe Malmsteam not as much because he's a shredder <laughs> to the bones. Yeah, he is. But yeah, there's definitely yeah, there's two different solos on here, and I definitely prefer one of them over the other. Which one do you prefer? I, I prefer the more groovy solos as opposed to the shredding. Okay, like the frenzy um, shredding. I'm just it's not for me. That's not where it's at for you. I knew I I like I said I knew going into it the solos were going to be a rough sell for you. Yeah, I don't know what my problem with solos is. I've been trying to think about it and I I feel like there's a pressure to like bow to them like that was mm-hmm. that was put on me for years and I've even been guilty of when I was younger of pretending like I cared and like oh that's so great. No, but <laughs> I I honestly don't give a shit about solos. No. And like okay. I have friends that play guitar and like when I see them solo I think this is might have what done it to me because I can I'll see like a friend do a solo and the sounds that are making look way more complicated than what they're doing. Okay. So like in my head, like, yeah, they're talented musicians, but it's still like uh, uh, solos aren't as hard as they sound, I guess. <laughs> right. Until you try to play one. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Coming from a guy that doesn't play guitar. I, yeah. I see somebody play a solo and I'm not talking like one of the big ones. I'm just talking like a guy that could do a, a, a B minus solo the sounds still sound similar enough to a very good solo and it doesn't look that hard. Like the sounds sound more difficult than it looks to play. <laughs> I gotcha. Oh, that was a labyrinth of words I had to make it through. <laughs> the band Metallica was in talks with Getty Lee, the bassist and vocalist for Rush to produce the album, but nothing ever came of it because they couldn't get their schedules to line up right. But imagine how this record would have sounded with Getty Lee producing it. No, I don't want to. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I, I can't wrap my head around it. Because if, right. if, there's, if there's one band, like if I could go through all of the music that was being played at the time, every genre, if there's one band that I don't hear on this thing, it's Rush. I don't hear Rush anywhere. Well, that's because Getty Lee didn't produce it. It's just, it's weird that that would be an option though. Like I feel, I don't know. That's that's weird to me. That's a really weird one to me. I don't understand why that right. would, like, why they would reach this level and be like, you know, we we need Getty Lee. Drum fact. Oh, here we go. Drum fact. Lars borrowed Rick Allen's, who is the uh, the drummer for Def Leppard, borrowed his Ludwig Black Beauty snare because he was unhappy with the one he was using at Sweet Silence Studio. At this time, Rick Allen was mid-recovery after losing his arm in that car accident. So Lars called up their management and was like, hey, working on this record, I know Rick's not using it. Can I borrow that snare? That's what I was thinking. That's weird. How weird is that to even like call somebody up and ask for for that one specifically? Like, Don't get me wrong. it It has its own sound. But to be like, I know your drummer might not ever play again. Can I grab that snare for this record? How bad was the snare at the studio that they were like, you know what's heavier than this snare? Def Leppard's snare. The problem with this album is I personally would give it a 10 out of 10. I don't have anything bad to say about this record. This is probably my favorite metal record of all time. Like this is number one for me. I mean, I'm not going to argue with the way you enjoy it. And it's it's always hard comparing two bands that are alike but not completely alike. You know, we we can compare Megadeth and Metallica. We can't because I've heard exactly one Metallica album. Well, two, <laughs> and, right. and zero Megadeth albums. Right. But I'm saying, like most people, that that's a big argument, right? In in the world of metal, mm-hmm. Metallica versus Megadeth. Um, I know I have a group of friends that we get into it about Metallica versus Megadeth all the time. It's kind of like a weekly thing. Oh, I mean, in my head, Megadeth is way more metal than Metallica. But that again, that could be because of every all that anti nostalgia that I talked about, and it could be about the no. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to justify it. You can just say, <laughs> like, cut cut the episode right there. And then we're done. Megadeth is more metal than Metallica, and we're we're good. So you have you have people that argue that the other in the other direction. Uh, my friends 
argue with me that Metallica, I don't know that, I don't think we've ever said that they're more metal than another one. It's just what we prefer one to the other. Okay. Um, the group of friends I'm talking about, there's four of us who have this conversation and the three of them prefer Metallica to Megadeth. I am the lone Megadeth supporter uh, in our group. I mean, well, let's, let's, I mean, I can only add on this as a guy who's heard quote unquote Megadeth's hits, which let's be real. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, and one full metallic album and their hits, I would still lean Megadeth's way. Like, even though I've only heard this Metallica album, I've heard one Metallica album, Zero Megadeth, I've, I would lean Megadeth's way still. I don't know what that means. I don't know where you want to factor that into this argument. No, I like it. That's great. I mean, they're, they're going to give you shit about it, but I love it. Oh, no, they're going to give me, if, if I'm getting shit from it for anything, it's going to be this breakdown of track by track we go through. That's what oh, I'm going to no. get. That's, that's what I'm going to get it. But go ahead, track by track, your breakdown. I will go with Battery. the opening track of this thing. Mm-hmm. And Battery's my favorite track on the album. I love that track. It is in my top three for sure. Uh, battery, it's exactly what I always wanted Metallica to be in my head. Like this, like that track is the track that I wanted Metallica to be, but I could never sure. separate that from what I already talked about with the Napster stuff and the corporate guys and the they're not heavy. Th- this is what right. I wanted them to be. It's a very thrashy song. I don't have anything negative to say about it. The the length didn't do it. It, it was fine. The length is fine. It didn't, okay. it didn't like want me to get out of it. I liked the whole track. Sure. There's, there is a, a little bit of an intro on this thing. And I would, I, if it was anywhere else on the album, I wouldn't like it because, but okay. it setting the mood coming like freshly into the album. I'm fine with it. Okay. Well, in the rest of the record, there are little parts that go, into that vein on different songs too i i hate the ethereal beginning to the closing track i did the damage ink i i'm oh, not a fan of damage ink no i just the, the intro I'm, just the intro here okay. actually we'll do this we'll, we'll skip right yeah, to no, go, right now okay we can and um the ethereal beginning feeling where it's just gonna no, no like as a track where it sits on the album at the end i could do without it like if if i'm when i'm listening through it i'm just this is it's not to me once you get to the riff, it reminds okay, it doesn't remind me of because they would have done it first, but I feel a lot of <laughs> um Lamb of God influence from this. Like I hear okay. I hear a yeah. heavy, heavy Lamb of God, like just almost maybe took this riff and did the same riff at some point. <laughs> sure. Right. And then I love Lamb of God, so that would come down to a vocalist issue. I did I don't think okay. I enjoy the style of vocals on this track particularly. Okay. There's also the whispered damage incorporated part. Damage incorporated. It drives me absolutely crazy. Because <laughs> you don't like it. Okay. Do you know how much better this track would be if that was a growl or a harsh vocal? Like it would be 30 times heavier immediately. And like I was doing it myself. Like when I'm listening to this and that part comes, yeah. I will scream like damage incorporated myself into the track <laughs> just to get me to enjoy it more. Like the, right. it, it's just it'd be it'd be so good if that that little whisper was changed to a harsh vocal. I wonder if they had written this song like now, yeah. if they would have made that change because back then in '86, were there very much harsh vocals going on at the time? Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right, but I think anything other than a whisper, like give me a give me a little energy in it, something. Right. I just the whisper di- didn't work for me. Every time it happened, <laughs> it like it took me from a point of where like I'd be getting into the song, like vibing on the song, and it would like whisper, and it would almost make me giggle. I'm like, this what? What are we doing? <laughs> like, there, there's a lot of. I I will still call this a metal album. You know, we'll go along with that. There's a lot sure. of there's a lot of rock mixed into it. It's not like a it's not just a strictly metal album. There's a lot of rock in this, and I think mm-hmm. that I have a very short leash for what I allow rock in my head. Okay, like 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 there, there's a, for some reason like I can only go so far into quote unquote like general rock before I start to question everything about what's happening and why it's happening. Okay, again. I have to make the argument of time that this came out in oh. 86. Oh, no, I I agree. A lot of these so, are a lot of these are my 
opinions from based on your now based on now yeah, what you from now to. yes yeah and I, I i understand completely what you're saying because i have watched i i watched the first three nightmare on elm streets this week like the past two, two days <laughs> yeah. and yeah. this album came out in between nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge and nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors i believe and yeah i was just picturing some of these tracks playing like while that movie's on and it was yeah, yeah. i was like yeah this is pretty sick this is a pretty sick move but right. just, just like i'm giving i'm giving opinions on like where i'm at now of how i think these songs would sound better to me and to what i enjoy right and i knew going into a, a record that is you know 35 years old yeah. that that would be one of the 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 disconnects that we have because I know I had that same disconnect while listening to some of the Emery stuff mm -hmm. being like, yeah, this is definitely, you know, early two thousands. Yeah. I don't know if I would have had the same opinion going into that record when it came out as I do now. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I feel you on that because I, w I was wondering like you were, were you even born in 86? I was born four years later. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I know we have, an age difference. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure how how far and, it was. Yeah, so and, yeah, you weren't even born when this record came out. And that's why a lot of the Metallica is already colored to me in certain ways because I didn't know Metallica until they were those guys. Well, I'll jump on to the second track. Uh, that thing that should not be, uh, I get very big Enter Sandman vibes here. Like almost like it's a prototype track for that. Like I hear, I hear a lot of Enter Sandman in this track. I, I'm very much wondering why if you've just come off master of puppets where you've proven yeah. yourself so technically proficient on the guitar why this riff is so goddamn boring no, no. <laughs> like it's just it's not good it's i don't like the riff it's just a dull riff it honestly this song was too long two minutes in with that riff like i was just oh. done I, th there's like the there's like an acoustic undistorted part of this that mm -hmm. like take it, it it follows along that system that they do where it, it it's a one of those things that seems to take the heaviness out for me like that that sure that little bit in there removed the heaviness that i i saw potentially behind that gotcha um, now we'll jump back to Master Puppets. It, it's uh, that opening riff is undeniable. I don't, if, if anybody's if anybody hears that riff and says anything about it, it they're wrong because it's undeniable. Yeah. It's it's a there's a reason it's a legendary riff. There's a little more rock sensibilities creeping into this one than okay. there was in Battery. Like it's like there's a there's like a veneer of metal over Metallica and rock seeps through the cracks in that veneer a lot. Sure. Okay. I would have been 100% fine if this track ended at like 3:30, like right before the bridge, like right before I was wondering the where you were going to cut it. Yeah. And that's not even saying that I hated the bridge of the instrumental. I I didn't. I actually prefer it more than the second one that is the more shreddy solo. Mhm. Mm but by time that bridge, the instrumental, the solo, by time we got back to the chorus of that, it's what happens a lot in long songs where they got back to the chorus and in my head i'm like i've already heard the song i thought we were done let's move on right you were out of it yeah like i'm 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 good like i i enjoyed the part up to it when we were doing this and then we started doing something different and then you went back but i'm good like i already had my fill of what that was <laughs> right welcome home sanitary yeah um a lot of rock and roll sounds like not metal in this one like rock it's a it's a rock track sure inside inside of a metal song like it's like an egg like the yolk is the is the rock <laughs> the shell is the metal i think this thing structurally is great because it doesn't take me out of it i love every bit of every change in this keeps me just enough like I, there wasn't there's not many times that i listened to the song and i was like how much longer is this right um i also did but but that being said i would go in and I could go in and edit and make a whole like brand cut of this thing. And it would probably, <laughs> it would probably end up being like 22 minutes if, if we're being right, honest. Right. Less than half the runtime. <laughs> if I cut this, it would be an EP. Uh, right. I didn't need the last solo in like a minute and a half of this thing. That was like the la the whole last minute and a half was a solo that I could have done without. I have a very vivid memory of this track, but for a, mm -hmm. for a different reason. Okay. So we're, we'll get to that when we hit top three tracks. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, Disposable Heroes, 
this is the one where I hear heavy anthrax. I hear a lot of anthrax in this track. A lot of it. Okay. And then with the themes and then the sound, I hear Iron Maiden in this also. Mm, okay. But this is this one added to the list. Definitely overstays its welcome for me. Gotcha. Big time. <laughs> Big I had time. a I had a feeling there was gonna be a lot of that on this record. Okay. Leper Messiah. Uh, Leper Messiah and Orion back to back. Here we go. Um <laughs> Leper Messiah, it's it's way too long. It it could have been <sighs> it could have been about the length of it shorter and it would have been better. Wow. That's unfair. That's unfair. <laughs> there, oh. There's there's parts of this that I that are pretty decent and that I got down with, but they weren't they didn't stay long enough for me to care. Okay. Like it, it switched it switched up, but I didn't care enough about the parts that would switch to to keep me into it. Sure. And the, the this is this one is heavy with the frenzied the frenzied shredding solo that I'm not mm-hmm. super stoked on. But when you mentioned about Megadeth, the shreddy is what I hear in my head when I think Megadeth. So I guess that sure works. <sighs> oh Ryan, oh Ryan, here we go. See, I didn't. Uh, this one, this one is 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 questionable for me because I don't know your take on instrumental songs. We've never discussed this, yeah. you and I. Yeah. This is the first instrumental we will talk about. Yeah. So Orion, uh, eight plus minutes, full instrumental. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I genuinely think if this wasn't within the context of this album, or maybe even the context mm-hmm. of Metallica at all, like if this was just on something else, I think I would really enjoy it. But hmm. there's not a track th- this there's not a track on this that doesn't fit as much as Orion. Like I would, if I did a cut of this, I'd cut Orion off of it. I wouldn't even have Orion on the on the album. Like that's okay. It's just it it doesn't fit to me at all. And I didn't hate it. Like when when I was listening to it, I didn't hate it. It just didn't fit within the album. Even when I tried to redo the track listing, and no matter where I listened to it, it just it didn't function for me as how i felt thought it was supposed to it didn't take me on a journey it kind of just left me anchored by the pier in <laughs> the rising tide <laughs> oh man that's yeah. brutal yeah this thing could take a the, the, orion could take a long walk off a short pier definitely gotcha. <laughs> definitely and then uh we already touched on damage inc so yeah so bookend test since you just talked about taking a journey okay bookend test we have battery to damage inc yeah, I don't think that there's any other way this album could be put together with an intro and a closer other than these two. These two function exactly how they should as the intro and the closer. Right. I actually, without that ethereal beginning to Damage Inc., the, bo- the book and test would not be as complete as I think it is because it really okay. helps. You come off the onslaught at the end of Battery when it's just like punishing, 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 punishing. Yeah. And then you go into that ethereal opening of Damage Inc. And the juxtaposition is fantastic. Right. That being said, it, it, it was, it's still, you know, the interior of the album. Every other track could have been moved around better i think i don't know how and i'd wipe like i said i'd cut the tracks up i'd wipe orion up it just it it would be it'd be you'd kill it this would murder this record this is blasphemy for any metallica fan but (laughs) i'm just i'm coming i'm coming real i'm coming real with this one yeah it's the journey between battery and damage inc is undeniable like you know and that ethereal beginning makes it better um, if Damage Inc. was a little shorter, I would like the bookend test better. But okay, you know, Damage Inc. overstays its welcome as well. <laughs> Just like a lot of these tracks. Yeah, well, that's like I said when I brought this to you. I knew that I'd be pushing your boundaries as far as length of song, how it's considered, guitar solos, and then, like I said, I didn't know your take on instrumental songs at all. So I knew I was gonna be, I was gonna be pushing it with this one i still don't know my take on instrumental songs like okay there is uh and here we go i guess this is my one time i'm going to reference acacia strain this episode there we go um on their coma witch album they have an 18 or 19 minute instrumental song at the closes the album and it and i absolutely adore it but it's it's okay. it's definitely more cinematic. Like there's other sounds. It's not just music, music, music. So I guess it, that's not really appropriately compared. Sure. I didn't hate the instrumental track. I I think I like, I think I like individual Metallica songs more than I like a Metallica album. Like I think if okay, 
if I'm not listening through this whole album, if I just put one song on, like one track, and even if it's eight minute Orion, whatever, I <laughs> I enjoy it more than when it's in the context with every other track on the album. I I don't know if that makes sense. Like there's there's the co- the cohesiveness of it I can't find, so I find the mm. pieces more enjoyable. Okay, I gotcha. That's understandable. So my top three, and I have caveats for every one of them, pretty much. Okay. So here we go. You had to justify why it's a top three. <laughs> top three. Battery is number one, and the, there's no really caveat on that. I'll take that as is. Like, I'll, that, yeah. that's one's fine. Uh, Damage Inc. is two. I'll take that one fixed and edited. Like, I'll, like once I fix that track, edit it down. Take, take, the, take the front off. Take the front off. Make that a harsh vocal in that Damage Inc., yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, that that that's number two for me. So okay, th- you know, not as is, battery as is, damaging, fixed and edited, right. And then this one, if I didn't make a Metallica fan mad before this, one, <laughs> oh no, this is gonna do it. And if people are only listening to this for Metallica, we will probably not have them as listeners. See you, Matt, Andy, <laughs> and Dennis. <laughs> My third favorite track is "Welcome Home Sanitarium," but. Not oh, no. <laughs> not the one on this album. Not the one on this album. No, I want the one that was performed at the Metallica MTV Icon TV show in 2003, performed by Limp Biscuit. No, it's no, no, it, no, no. It rips so hard. It's, and this is the end of our podcast. Uh, we're never doing another episode. <laughs> it's so good. And that's that's the first time I heard that song. Like I remember it from that show, okay. from that. That's sure. the first time I ever heard it. And then I went and like what a beat him. Like I played this and I played that one. And man, yeah. that thing rips. I love, I love Limp Biscuit's "Welcome Home Sanitarium" performance. So uh, it's it's been it's been nice knowing you, listeners. Uh... <laughs> okay, well I'll give my top three. Okay, uh, not in any order. I I don't know why I don't put these in order. I just have a top three probably all the three i just shredded the worst <laughs> nope battery okay battery is definitely yeah. one of my top three master of puppets is one of my top and, three. and i'm not arguing with that that's that i said i said that song is undeniable it's just not one yeah. that you know but, but again that's another one of those by itself if i sit to listen to master of puppets by itself i'm fine but when i right. when i know i'm listening to this seven minute song and i know there's an eight minute song down the pike and then there's another eight minute song. Like just, it's just not for me. Right. And then my, my third one is Leper Messiah. Yeah. Which I shredded. <laughs> I tore, yeah, I tore that apart. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tore that. Thing no, apart. it's good. It's good. Man. I'm just, I'm glad we have a bit of a, you know, we agree on battery at least. So there is at least a touchstone there. We, we do have something. Yeah. Let me get into this last fact. I have to see if this is going to, I don't think it'll change any opinion. Okay. I don't, I don't imagine it's going to. Okay. I just need to hear your reaction to this before we get to. I feel like I'm being trapped. I feel like I'm being trapped. Not being, it's not a, it's not a trap. Okay. I promise. Okay. It's just, uh, it is a huge downer. So master of puppets is the last Metallica album to feature Cliff Burton on bass. While the band was touring, promoting this record, they were on a five month stint supporting Ozzy Osbourne on the European leg of the tour in Sweden. The band's tour bus skidded off the road, flipped over, and killed Cliff. So the story behind it goes that the sleeping cubicles in the tour bus were super uncomfortable. And I guess Lars and James had theirs as like the two main dudes, the originals uh, of the band. And every night, Kirk and Cliff would draw playing cards to determine who gets to pick to sleep where. On the night of September 26th, Cliff pulled the Ace of Spades and said that he wanted to sleep in Kirk's bunk. So Cliff got that bunk. Kirk went up front to sleep. And at 7 in the morning on the 27th, the bus skidded uh, on on the road, flipped, threw Cliff out of the window in the bunk, and rolled over on top of him. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. So the bus driver said that he hit a patch of black ice on the road. And James later said that he walked down this road for miles in his underwear 
looking for a patch of black ice and never found it. So he blames the bus driver saying that he was drunk and the bus driver must have been drunk driving and was the cause of this. I mean, that could be the case, but here's, and and I'm not downplaying that. That's terrible. Nobody, you know, deserves to go like that, but accidents also happen. Yeah. But th- this is another moment of like, by you, like, it's an accident. Like, by you blaming this man, it's just you being this, like, corporate man to me. Like, yeah, he, well, he might have been drunk. Bus, rock band bus drivers have been drunk for 50 years before this. Right. Yeah. I guess it was in the moment. Right. So I have a, I have a quote from James he said, I saw him dead. It was really, really terrible. We were up late that night. I was drinking vodka. He was smoking his preferred substance. We went to sleep and then the bus was getting jostled around. I knew we were not on the road anymore. When it hit the side, I went out of the escape hatch, went around and saw people yelling. It was freezing cold. We were in our underwear. I saw the bus lying right on him. I saw his legs sticking out. I freaked. The bus driver, I recall, was trying to yank the blanket out from under him to use for other people. I just went, don't fucking do that. And I already wanted to kill the guy. I don't know if he was drunk or if he hit some ice. All I knew was he was driving and Cliff wasn't alive anymore. Uh, He also said, coming out and finding your buddy under the bus is not something you want to go through. Our first reaction was anger. One of those things we're good at. Why did this happen? Where's the driver? Let me smell your breath. I walked for miles looking for this black ice in my underwear when it's 20 below. There were screams from the crew who were still trapped in there, screaming in pain, broken collarbones, toes, all that. James insisted the driver was to blame for the accident. However, it's not crystal clear whether he was right or not. The bus driver never got charged. One of the the people, one of the inspectors, you know, going over the case said the skin marks from the bus looked like the bus driver was asleep at the wheel. Um, but... There was a second bus driver who was driving the bus with the with the the amps and the guitars and all the the stuff said that they had both slept uh, earlier on in the day. So it's not like he he was asleep. He wasn't tired. He was up. There's just no definitive answer as to what happened uh, with this accident. I mean, I can't judge anybody's uh, trauma response, like, and I never would try mm-hmm. because, like, I, w- I have no idea how I would react in that situation at all. It, it, I think that Metallica as an idea will always be stronger in my head than anything that is they actually are, maybe? Like, whatever my impression okay. of them are, I don't think can be overcome by anything. Like, even if I met all the dudes, I think just the... Oh, right. My built-in, I have a buy. I have a Metallica bias. I guess is what I'm saying. Like, it, sure. and, I, and I don't think I'll ever change it. Although, although I was planning on doing a Metallica run through, you know, of their discography. I was gonna start all with right. Kill 'Em All and go through. Yeah, I think we were talking about that before I gave you this record, and I was like, hold off. I had one more fact. I'm bringing I'm I'm bringing the mood up a little bit. Uh, it's down. It's down. I know it is. But <laughs> so shortly before the death of Cliff Burton. James, Kirk, and Cliff had discussed giving Lars his walking papers. Scott Ian, the guitarist for Anthrax, was on tour with them, and he wrote he wrote like a, a memoir. He wrote a book, and in his book, he said, they said they couldn't take being in the band with him anymore and were done putting up with him. Cliff explained the plan. The three of us have agreed when we get home from this tour – we're going to get rid of Lars, even if it means we can't use the name Metallica anymore. But any thoughts of firing Lars ended when Cliff died. Scott Ian said, I asked James what was going to happen with the Lars situation. And James told Scott that we're not going to do that now. We can't lose two di- two guys. We can't do it. And that's, uh, that's quotes from Scott Ian's book, I'm the Man, the Story of That Guy from Anthrax. See, and I hear that, and I, 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 I see the point of like... Well, we can't do that now because he died um, for more of the, like, upstanding reasons. But Mm -hmm. in my head, what I have colored as Metallica, it's more for, well, if we lose both, we may not be successful anymore. Like, that's how I painted in my head based on my impression of what I know to be Metallica. Yeah, that's crazy to me. I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying, you know, I'm just that's just what my interpretation of it is. And I, no, I, I, I hope not. Like, I don't want to believe the worst of anybody. 
and right. and nobody is wholly bad or or wholly good. It's just that's what is in my head. Sure. All right, now I'll ask you the question: <laughs> Throne, own, or grown? I had told you that this is an album that I would have just purchased at some point, like if I would have yeah. stumbled across it. Right. Um, after this and going through it like this, um, I don't think it is anymore. I don't think I'd buy it. Oh God, no. <laughs> I ruined it for you. And no, and it's definitely it's it's not ruined. Like it's definitely not a bad album. There's a lot of merit here. I understand why it has the reviews it does. I get it. Like this thing in '86, a completely different ballgame. And I didn't totally hate myself while listening to it. It took about till Thursday ish before mm-hmm. i started to really like enjoy some stuff because for a while it was a chore like it was just a oh here we go here we go right. another time another time but i think it was once i started breaking it up more into the pieces and then mm-hmm. analyzing the pieces as opposed to the whole it was much more enjoyable for me but it went from probable a probable own to a it's a slight groan just for me personally gotcha. just it's not it's not something that i even if i bought it i i wouldn't see myself spinning it yeah. Now, if I told you there's a studio update where <laughs> they went through, <laughs> I'll never feel worse off for enjoy- for listening to something like a- a- right. anything I ever consume will alter my perceptions of something later. Like, you know, and I'm not upset. I listen to it. I will never be upset of anything I listen to. I just won't. I don't see myself returning to it. Sure. I think I was unfair at the beginning of the listen to this because I was putting it up against other things that were they, it was unfair like I, I listened to a waking the cadaver album this should not be put mm-hmm. up against a waking the cadaver album for heaviness no. uh, there's some other like heavy stuff i was listening to and it was unfair that i was even comparing it like just right and i wasn't comparing the albums i was just comparing heaviness in general like right my perception of heaviness is entirely different than what metallica was doing then because my perception of heaviness didn't exist when metallica sure. was there but Metallica is responsible for a lot of it. I can right. I could say that they there's a lot of roots in things I listen to that I could hear in this. Right. That's uh we've talked about this before where I told you I do like a palate cleanser. Yeah. Where I will listen to something completely different than what I'm about to dissect before I get into it. So like when we listen to Emery, I think I listen to something super heavy, like I listen to Gojira or something like that you know, like it just, or when a new record's coming out, I want to, that I'm super excited about. I want to do a palate cleanser just to have something completely different, go into it with just a clean, clean slate, clear mind, and then pick up what I'm hearing based on just that record alone. I agree. I just don't know if I, I don't know. I'm a lot less, I'm a lot less like palate cleanse records. I don't have many of those, Mm. but, but that's probably because I'm, I've been trying to consume so much as opposed to the same things that like I have to, I almost have to fit it in between a record that was coincidentally a palate cleanser. (laughs) Right. Right. I get it. What's your record of the week? Uh, My record of the week this week is by rapper Maxo cream and it is weight of the world. Tyler, Mm -hmm. Tyler has a feature on it. ASAP Rocky does Freddie Gibbs does like it's a, it's a solid record. I, I'm a big fan of it. It's it's right in my wheelhouse of like the kind of hip hop that I'm enjoying at the most right now. And yeah, I mean, I don't have like a super let's say about. It. I just I'm I really enjoyed it this week. I played it multiple times. I think I sent you a few clips of it when I was listening to yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just a, I'm a big fan of that album this week. What's yours? Mine is the new Every Time I Die record. Radical um, came out last week. Uh, put it on, just kind of. Um, when I first listened to it, it was just kind of, yeah, it's an every time I die record. And then the more I listened to it, the more I enjoyed it. The riffs are fantastic. The vocals are great. Um, yeah, th- this is another one. I don't have a whole lot to say about it either. Like if you're into every time I die, give it a listen. Um, it's an every time I die record. All right. So now it's time for me to give you what what's next week, huh? Yeah. What, we, what, we, what am I listening to next week? All right. Next week, Scott, you are yeah. going to be listening to the Band of Horses album. Oh, Cease, okay. Cease to Begin. Cease to Begin. Cease to Begin. It came out in 07. Okay. Is that the one we talked about last episode? We did touch on it 
briefly. Yes. Yeah, that was the one you said that it was probably the one you would bring to me. Yes. And All I right. just I just feel like it, it's fall, you know, it's it's you know, it's cooling down, the leaves are changing. This is this this album has a lot of fall vibe. Oh, this is an like an autumn vibe kind of feel to this record? Definitely. It's to me, it may be to somebody. This is also but to me it's also a big summertime record. So I don't know, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. you, you, you might feel it however you feel it, but I'm excited one way or the other. Um, and I'm definitely going to be playing it a lot today because I think Tara and I are going to go look at some fall foliage. Awesome. Yeah, so next week you'll be listening to uh, Band of Horses Cease to Begin. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll see what that band's all about. Hopefully horses. I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm, I'm excited and interested. Okay. And it's the first time I've given you something that's not Emery. So. It's true. <laughs> and we may, we'll, we'll probably get back to Emery at some point. Okay. I'm I'm quite interested. I don't think I've heard anything about these guys at all. Awesome. So I I, I have no Rel- opinion. Yeah, I have no opinion leading into it and no source of reference for this band at all. So it's something completely new to me. And I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm very stoked also. Scott, it's been great. Thank you. As always. Um, Are you listening? Are Are you listening? Do you have cider mills around you? I need to impress females.